0: this is a relay project real talk starts right now here's ryan jesperson
1: it's tuesday august 23rd welcome to real talk and thanks for hanging out with us it's ryan jesperson john hicks and we got a great show in store coming up in uh, just a couple of minutes. National political columnist Andrew Coyne. Very much looking forward to that conversation with Andrew. Had a chance to meet him for the first time in person a couple of weeks ago at this Center Ice conference that we've been talking to you about. This um, this project of, of former Conservative Party leadership candidate Rick Peterson. He's trying to determine, and, and Rick's built a whole team around him. Tasha Carradine's there, and, and you can check him out online. But they're trying to determine whether or not there's a place for for politics in Canada to to meet in the so-called middle. Andrew was there as a part of a panel, uh, really phenomenal perspectives being shared there from some former Canadian senators and elected representatives at the provincial and federal levels. Uh, some of them like former BC Premier Christy Clark professing to be longtime federal liberals, some people uh, obviously longtime federal conservatives and many people that would probably uh, attest to being politically homeless. And so I look forward to hearing what Andrew's takeaways were from that conference. Of course, we're going to ask him about a bunch of other stuff as well, uh, including calls for Pierre Polyev, this conservative leadership frontrunner, most likely. I mean, I'll ask Andrew Izzy. I think we know the answer, but I hate to... Roll into an interview pretending or assuming that I have the answers to all the questions, but Pierre Paul, yeah, people want him to 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 denounce this group Diagalon, this guy Jeremy McKenzie that he was photographed shaking hands with, I think it was in Halifax a few days ago. Uh, th- the reasonable part of me, I mean, number one, first of all, if you do reading up on Diagonal, is some pretty wacky stuff. If I if I speak plainly about it, I'm sure that I'm going to draw out some of the trolls online, but but it, but it's a it's a concerning group to be sure. Uh, on the reasonable side of it, people are saying, "Well, how is someone like Pierre Poliev or any other elected representative supposed to know every single person's background when they're at an event shaking hands with them, uh, when they're greasing the wheels, so to speak, when 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 you know they're rubbing shoulders and doing what they can to get their name out and sell memberships?" Uh, Jagmeet Singh, the federal NDP leader, yesterday among those calling for Pierre Poliev to make a statement about this photo that was posted. To this point, he has not. Jagmeet Singh asking, will Pierre Poliev continue to wink at white supremacy? We're going to ask Andrew Coyne about that. I'll ask him about Lisa Laflamme's dismissal from CTV as well. And, of course, Danielle Smith's proposed Alberta Sovereignty Act. That's also why we're going to welcome to the program Dave Kahn, former leader of the Alberta Liberal Party, but also a constitutional and environmental lawyer. And Dave's got an interesting perspective on this Sovereignty Act, a column that ran in the National Post just a couple of days ago, penned by Danielle Smith, who, who looks to be quite likely Alberta's next premier, says Alberta's sovereignty is a constitutional right. Con's uh, pushing back, and we'll find out why. Plus, I'm very excited about this week's edition of The Leading Edge, presented by Leading <laughs> Edge Physio. I don't want to spoil it, because we'll get to it. This is the, the feature every week where we celebrate innovation. And there's a product out there that launched just a few years ago. The company's already valued at more than a half a billion dollars. Oh,
0: it's innovative.
1: It sure is innovative. (laughs) I don't want to spoil it, but you're going to want to hang uh, tight until you learn a little bit more about this. We're being so mysterious right now. But this is the thing with the beverage business, right? I mean, this is the – I'm talking about a different one. Have you heard about, like, Neutral, for example? You know, the company Neutral started – have you heard their story? Like, they started in Canada. I think Mm -hmm. they started in Vancouver by a couple of guys who basically started it from nothing Mm – pretty simple formula vodka sodas Mm -hmm. everybody's been drinking vodka sodas they just put them in a can and they sold the company like 18 months after they launched for 300 million dollars i know and i'm starting to think we We should be in the wrong business We should have done that. Why didn't we Gin do that? Gin
0: soda's in a can.
1: Gin soda in a can. What will they think of next? Now, this is not the leading edge. That's coming up a little bit later in the show. Uh, plus, we're going to get to some of the stories that are just making news and catching people's attention. You know, we talked yesterday about Lisa Laflamme, the, her her dismissal, whatever you want to call it, her departure. Did she get fired? Technically, yeah, she got fired. She got let go by CTV, right? Charles Adler talked to us about it. Senator Paula Simons talked to us about it. The rumor is, the rumblings are, and I'm sure there was more at play than this, but one of the reasons people suggest that she may have been sent packing was CTV was looking for a new look behind the desk. And and after Lisa Laflamme, a celebrated and, and and majorly respected journalist in Canada went gray, so to speak, started to let her gray show uh, through the course of the pandemic that it rubbed CTV's executives the wrong way. Well, Dove Canada, have you seen this ad campaign <laughs> responding yesterday? Age is beautiful, they say in a tweet. Women should be able to do it on their own terms without any consequences. Dove is donating a hundred grand. To Catalyst, a Canadian organization helping build inclusive workplaces for all women. Go gray with us, invites Dove. Turn your profile picture grayscale and hashtag keep the gray. So it's inspiring a bunch of people, and they're doing exactly that. And, And most, you know, respondents, this are women, and they're showing photos of them going gray or letting their gray show. But we got a really interesting email as well from a real talker by the name of Lori. And I wanted to read this. Lori's a hairstylist. There's a bit of snark to this. I love it. And she's having a bit of fun with it, too. She says, just a hairdresser's note on Lisa LaFlam going gray. She says, you know, salons were closed a lot longer in Ontario than they were here in Alberta. Lisa was in the public eye. And, and to be honest, says Lori, I resented local media showing people how to cut and color their own hair as they reported from home. She says, but when my salon finally reopened, I personally had seven clients who, growing out their gray she says boom $700 a month off my income but she says I was concerned for my clients I know about this youth culture I know that sometimes head office will send a rep to visit the workplace and point to people who may appear quote old ladies especially often sent packing health costs are high time off can be high I get it she said, "I would try to remind my clients to let them know that that Lisa still had professional lighting and and wardrobe and makeup. You know, plus she said if if you look closely, she had mauve. You like the color mauve, Johnny? She had mauve. Some people are going to write in and say mauve, mauve roots, low lights. Probably even used purple shampoo for shine. There still are real world reasons to represent your company with your best foot forward. Gray haired people are treated differently." They're treated like they're invisible. Hair color is much like new paint when you renovate a house. It's the most bang for your buck, and you wear it 100% of the time. Lori says, don't get me wrong. I hope that Lisa Laflamme does two backflips and lands on her feet. I tweeted at the prime minister, letting him know I think she'd make a, per- a terrific ambassador for Canada. And I'm sorry that we don't live in a utopia. I just want people to know that life is easier if you look your best. Your stylist wants you to be rich, loved, and and successful. Laurie says, I guess this note is coming across maybe a little bit like a trash talk submission. So I'll end with this. If you ate today, thank a farmer. If you got laid today, thank your hairdresser. (laughs) Okay. Real talker Laurie. Actually, I'm just going to make a quick mention here before we get to Andrew. We've been talking to you about this Covenant House Foundation lottery. And of course, this is one that we want to have all over your radar because this, uh, Well, let me tell you something. The deadline is fast approaching for their bonus prize. That's the Tesla Model S. What a beautiful whip. Or $100,000 cash, your choice. For more than 160 years, Covenant Health has made a huge difference for patients and their loved ones. And for the last 30 of those years, the Covenant Foundation Lottery has played a big role in making a difference for people in their care. Every ticket purchased has a far-reaching impact. Now, we know you want to be helping patients at the Grey Nuns and Misericordia Hospitals, but wouldn't you also love to live in life-changing luxury, like a $2.2 million dream home? The deadlines are fast approaching, September 1st for that Tesla or 100K. And then, of course, you want to have all your tickets lined up by November 3rd. That's the final deadline, the grand prize draw later that month on November 24th. If you're watching us on YouTube this morning, check this out. This is what $2.2 million looks like, well, in Edmonton. $2.2 million in Vancouver doesn't get you a whole lot, but this is life-changing luxury, and it could be yours When you pick up your tickets at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. Our friends at Friesen Brothers also wanted us to remind you they've got a big food drive coming up this weekend. If you're in our neck of the woods, if you're in the Metro Edmonton region, Alberta's capital city, the Edmonton Food Bank Drive and Barbecue goes at their Rabbit Hill location this Saturday. That's August 27th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. They're looking for monetary or food donations. You do that, you're going to get a smoky and a pop. And... They're aiming to fill that food bank truck. Now, they're looking for healthy school snacks. That's what's most important. That's what the Edmonton Food Bank's looking for. You can find all the details online at Friesen.com, and we hope to see you down there at Friesen Brothers South Edmonton store. It's a flagship. It's stunning. You say, well, how great can a grocery store be? Go see it for yourself. Everybody that goes there on our recommendation seems to send us messages saying, I had no idea what to expect. We're not going anywhere else from now on forward. That's August 27th at Friesen Brothers South Edmonton. And a shout out to our friends at Athabasca University. You know, where everybody's talking back to school. It's not just limited to the kids. You're looking for a new opportunity. You're looking for a way to maybe launch a new career or maybe just better yourself. Learn a little bit more about what's going on around you. That could be artificial intelligence. It could be EDI. It could be machine learning. It could be things like HR or scientific research. You know, Athabasca is one of Canada's foremost research universities. Tens of thousands of students every single year attend... If you want to call it that, Canada's online university working at their own pace on a schedule that suits their lifestyle via you.ca Andrew Coyne coming up in just a little bit. We also wanted to, of course, mention that there are a couple of other things going on a little bit later on this week. And uh, looking ahead, did you hear you heard that Zeller's is making a comeback here I in Canada? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was talking to a friend yesterday and she says, how about this Zeller's comeback? And I said, what do you t-? I said? I thought that was a joke. I just saw the headline in passing. I thought <clears throat> people were being funny yeah, because they were excited that the hot chicken sandwich was coming back, that the fries and gravy were coming back. That, the restaurant that, that, that was maybe- the
0: best part. Of Zellers.
1: It's what everybody seems to remember about yeah. Zellers. And so everybody's talking about Zellers coming back. I, I, I thought it was farce. I thought it was a joke. Well, it turns out it's real. And so we're going to be taking a look at that tomorrow. Heather Thompson is a retail expert, and she's going to join us. My thought was that the Target experiment didn't really work in Canada. yeah. And Walmart seems to me to kind of have that, what do you want to call it, like the um, the bang for buck uh, market or the, the what's the word I'm looking like the affordability like kind of the low cost mm-hmm. you know that market cornered mm-hmm. you know the a Walmart kind of comes into a community and, and people say like yeah they provide a lot of employment and things like that they also wipe out all the ma and pa shops nobody can compete with their pricing the seller's a little more down home it, so like a little more feels yeah a like, little closer like what know? Zeller's gonna <laughs> have to do to survive Uh, if and when they come back, and and, and they are coming back as a brand. So I think it's going to be interesting. People will have that nostalgia that may draw them back into the store, but will people actually, longer term, go spend their bucks at Zellers. We're going to find out. uh, That's tomorrow with Heather Thompson. You won't want to miss it. Andrew Coyne is uh, a national political columnist. You see him uh, on the Ad Issue panel on CBC's The National. Of course, uh, I'm sure that you've read him many times. I don't need to tell you where to find Andrew Coyne. All that matters is that this morning you're finding him here on Real Talk. It's nice to see your face again. Thanks for making time for us. Good to be with you. Yeah. We were talking about Lisa Laflamme's. It seems like everybody's talking about Lisa Laflamme's departure. Dove Canada has this show your gray campaign. And a lot of people are talking about that. There, I spoke with Senator Paula Simons yesterday about this. She made a good and salient and reasonable point. She said, listen. Uh, she said, obviously, this is nothing new for women in television, but we don't know the full story. We don't know what was happening behind the scenes. She was reserving her comment to a certain degree, as you might expect the senator to do. Uh, you obviously, of course, roll in these circles, Andrew, as a national media personality. How are you wrapping your head around not just what happened, but how it happened?
2: Well, I guess, I mean, people are talking about the potential that this was ageism or sexism. And we'll, we'll learn more, no doubt, as time goes on about that. I'm just struck mostly about how dumb it is. Um, uh, you, you know, who, how did they think this was going to end well for them? Let's put it that way. Uh, you, you, uh, up and fire the anchor of the top rated national newscast with no explanation, uh, no clear uh, rationale for it. She's not, you know, lagging in the ratings. Uh, she's certainly not lacking in quality. She's won awards for her job, for doing her job. So you have no particular explanation for why you're doing this. You uh, to her testimony, you blindside her with it. Then, when it comes out and you don't have any rationale, you retreat into pravda-like. Uh, uh, I mean, the news account that appeared on CTV and the statement they put out afterwards was designed to make you think that oh, she just she just decided to retire, which was clearly not true. And yet they stuck and continue to stick with some version of that story, uh, even in the face of the facts. So both in the rationale for it, which is mysterious uh, uh, and in the way that they've handled it, it, it's, it's just been an an absolute mess from start to finish. And I think what's happened is, you know, they had the one guy, the VP of content, uh, melling, I think his name is, who everybody kind of blamed off the top, but it's clear that, and I think it's been reported since that you're not going to make a decision like this without a sign off from the very top of the executive food chain. So I think they've got themselves in the situation where they made a complete mistake to, to use a polite word, uh, uh, but nobody can admit it because if they do, then it, the, the price that's going to be paid is not just by uh, Lisa Laflamme or by this fellow Melling, but by the, the people at the top. And they can't have that. So yeah. they're stuck now in the situation where they can't go forward and they can't go back. They're just stuck there with everyone yelling at them. Maybe they thought this was going to end after a couple of days, but it hasn't. Uh, when the when the new guy takes over, uh, I think you're going to see the ratings plummet. Uh, so it's just a
1: disaster. And I feel bad for Omar as he steps in. Omar second into the new anchor, stepping into anchor. You know, I mean, it would be a dream, Andrew, to be quite honest. Uh, you know, coming up in broadcasting to anchor something like CTV's national newscast before your 40th birthday, no less. But like you said, I mean, even announcing him as the new guy the same day that Laflamme, you know, the guillotine drops on her. It was just like that. It, it, it was just to me. It was insulting to the viewers. It was insulting to Canadians. And then you see, I mean, off the top of our show this morning, we were having a, a bit of fun talking about this Dove Canada campaign i saw somebody tweet they didn't have dove canada taking on bell media on their 2022 bingo card i mean this is a thing now
2: (laughs) well i i give points to dove for exploring the situation this is dove that's owned by unilever that is the maker of Ponds anti-wrinkle cream and other fine Mm. beauty products uh so and i think dove even has has an anti-wrinkle thing as well so you know they're all kind of in that game of of uh, you know, playing on fear of aging, et cetera. And it's not the worst thing in the world, but the, the, they, they certainly saw an opportunity. I have some limited sympathy for Omar in this, in that it's not just that you kind of stepped over a colleague's body on the way, because I guess, you know, life is tough, et cetera. But if you're going to do that, you better realize what kind of hornet's nest you're going to be stepping yeah. in. And his tweet that he put out, again, uh, if she'd retired, it would have been a great tweet. You know, following in the footsteps of these giants, et cetera. When the situation is as it is, and you, you basically, you know, you you you, you collude in uh, the storyline of 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 the chief executives, of the executives at the at CTV. I, I don't think it looks good on him to be put put it mildly.
1: Yeah, he tweeted. Uh, for those that didn't see it, I'm honored to be following in the footsteps. Of Lisa Laflamme and Lloyd Robertson, so excited to be working with our incredibly talented team in this new role. It has kind of a nothing to see here vibe to it, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk politics. I want to ask you about this. This is this is maybe not uh, the biggest news story, but it's certainly relevant. Uh, yesterday with Charles Adler, we had some fun breaking down Pierre Polyev's. So-called diner video where he's he's presumably speaking to to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who's joining him at the table. I know you've seen it, Andrew. Our audience has likely as well. And it's somewhat effective communication talking about how the price of of bacon is up and the price of bread is up and the price of butter is up and the price of milk is up. And he's he's really latched on to this. And you and I can get into that in just a little bit. But I've seen some commentators suggest that this was an effort to distract from what could be a pretty damaging situation for Pierre Polieva a meet and greet uh, in eastern Canada uh, photograph shaking hands with this Diagon founder, Jeremy McKenzie. And uh, for people that aren't familiar with the group, they can Google it and they'll quickly get up to speed on what this group represents. It's obviously, I think, a troubling perspective for most mainstream Canadians among those calling for Mr. Polyev to denounce this group and to walk back the handshake, I guess, is federal NDP leader Chuck Meet Singh, who yesterday tweeted maybe Mr. Polyev didn't know who he was shaking hands with, but he does now. Will he denounce Jeremy McKenzie and Tagalon, designated as violent extremists by Canada's Integrated Terrorism Assessment Center? Or will he continue to wink at white supremacy? Can you take us into where your head's at on this?
2: Yeah. Um, so he, he's got a couple of defenses. One is, well, I can't be responsible for every single person who comes up to me and shakes my hand at a, at a meeting. That's true. But this isn't every single person. This isn't some random lunatic out of left field. This is the guy who is the head of this organization. This is the guy who David Topp, who uh, uh, probably ever went to great lengths to go and march beside, uh, who's appeared on his show several times. So if if he didn't know who this guy was he was poorly briefed it's possible it's certainly possible but it's it's it stretches credulity a little bit but let's supposing he he didn't know who the guy was Jagmeet Singh's point is absolutely well taken if you were genuinely horrified at being associated with this that's the first thing you'd say is i cannot uh, stress more strongly how how you know how abhorrent i find his ideology uh, and the organization, I want nothing to do with him, et cetera. instead, he puts out after some delay, after some petulant remarks about why the, why is everybody on my case about this? puts out a thing where he doesn't mention the guy's name or the organization, just says I disavow racism generally. I didn't know what this guy was, and then he puts in some sort of s- s- slam on on Justin Trudeau. So uh, uh, it, the the context of this is he has gone to some lengths. To associate himself with, if not white supremacy, then certainly with um, uh, crankish right-wing conspiracy theorists who are pretty adjacent uh, to 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 the white supremacy stuff and to the accelerationist thing, this idea that we want to foment uh, um, division and discord in the society in hopes of bringing about some kind of you know political change. Um, he he's quite willing to hang out hang out with some pretty un, uh, unsavory and disreputable characters and movements. Uh, and uh, it, it doesn't seem to be going to a great deal of, of, of effort to try to dissociate himself when he gets caught on it.
1: I think that there are actually we can draw some parallels here between the United Conservative Party's leadership race in Alberta and and who the perceived frontrunner there is courting and how she's courting them and what Mr. Poliev is doing. And it, it it's obvious, but I'll still pointed out that the number one goal of any leadership candidate is to sell as many memberships as possible and to turn those memberships into people actually turning out and casting their votes. You win the leadership of the party, then you take a run at the prime minister's office or in Daniel Smith's case, the premier's office as well. We've seen it before, right? I mean, I remember Aaron O'Toole campaigning for conservative leadership and and Mr. O'Toole always struck me as somewhat of a a regular guy, kind of a somewhat of a mainstream reasonable guy. But I remember when he was campaigning in Alberta and Saskatchewan to be conservative leaders, some of the things he'd say seemed a little out of character. And and people almost write it off. Like, oh, he's kind of cosplaying as this, you know, alienated Westerner, right? And, and he's got to secure the support of, of those on the prairies. And then once he does, he'll be mainstream Aaron O'Toole and he'll be Canada's next prime minister. Is Pierre Polyev running a risk of going so far that he can't? walk it back like are the photos of delivering timmy's coffee to the truck convoy or marching with these guys top or shaking hands with with diagonals found i mean is 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 it a step too far in your sense or is the voter's memory short enough that he'll be able to pull this one off
2: i think it's a real danger because the things that he's been doing are not to do with policy so yeah there is a well-worn uh, strategy or whatever you want to call it of uh, you take some positions on policies. Uh, in the u.s in the primaries you know in, or in canada in a leadership race that over time you you walk back a little bit you moderate them you said what i meant was this or that or you introduce other policies to round it out which is the other thing which is perfectly fair right so you stress certain things at certain stages of the process and certain other things about you and your policies at another stage these are to do with things of character and judgment though if you're willing if you're willing to to pander to people's fears of the world economic forum uh and, and indulge in that kind of conspiracy theory if you're going to start winding up people over bitcoin if you're going to start uh, hanging out with uh, um uh, people the people who took uh, the city of downtown ottawa hostage uh and essentially cheer on law breaking um those things are going to stick to you because they have to do with your character and your values and your judgment and what you're willing or not willing to do in pursuit of power uh, I think that's harder to to wriggle out of I think that's the kind of thing that 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 sticks to you I mean the knock on him before all this was you know when he was just a an attack dog for Stephen Harper as a, as a backbencher was that he was peculiarly nasty and 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 harsh in his partisanship he represented the worst face of of that government and that's all still there and maybe maybe people can get used to that over time although it's 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 you know you're you're in people's living rooms every day, and if if you present that kind of scowling face, it's going to be hard for people to take. That's what hurt Harper in the end a great deal. Hmm. But if you add to that this kind of rank opportunism and and just say anything, do anything, partly because of this cockamamie way of choosing leaders, where you you sell hundreds of thousands of membership uh, to to the people you can mobilize the easiest, i.e., the cranks uh, and and the and the extremists. Uh, then, you, yeah, you, the party gets taken over by by these people and you got you get a leader to
1: match. So what do you I mean, ultimately, uh, and we have to make some assumptions here. Well, I guess we don't have to. But let's assume that Pierre Polyev wins this leadership. Uh, you've got some time. I mean, what I'm talking about here is the prime minister's got some time so long as he can keep the federal NDP satiated. Right. Which may require some investment through th- into dental care or maybe we see a. a action on a national pharmacare program in the next 18 months or or something like that. But it gives us some runway to get a sense of what the conservative movement or what conservative politics looks like in Canada under a Pierre Polyev leadership. This is partly what you and I gathered to talk about in Edmonton with a bunch of other politically engaged folks a couple of weeks ago, the future of small C and capital C conservative politics in Canada. What do you forecast? or What does your crystal ball tell you about the implications of a Polyev win?
2: Um, I think you're going to see him and you're already seeing him trying to come back to um, um, regular conservative issues and policies. I mean, and to be fair to him, he's been talking about, uh, inflation for some time now not always with a, a great deal of coherence or responsibility but but uh, but he's definitely established that he's that that he's hot on that issue and if you're worried about inflation as people should be he's going to benefit from that you know he has to start talking i mean i think some of us had hoped that the leadership race would be a time you know when the party would start to have this conversation with itself about what does it mean to be a conservative in 2022? What what is what policies are, are they going to stand for? How are they going to make conservatism relevant to current issues? And that's been completely ignored. This has been a race, as I say, about conspiracy theories in the World Economic Forum and, and not much else. Um, so yes, uh, uh, um, I, I, think, I think if he's smart, uh, he should realize that there's a lot of people who have voted liberal for the last two or three elections kind of holding their nose. Mm. Um, it's going to be hard for them to unhold their nose and vote for Pierre Poilievre. But but it, it, there's such disaffection with Justin Trudeau in particular, and with some of the policy directions that the government has taken that have kind of moved way off the, the sort of center-left center ground the liberals traditionally in, in, inhabit, that there's a lot of people who would vote for conservative if you gave them the slightest excuse. So if you had a serious platform uh, for dealing with the fiscal challenges facing the country, for dealing with, um, to the extent that the federal government is is involved with with, with the health care crisis, for dealing with certainly the very changed, much changed, and 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 ominous security environment that we're in. I mean, foreign affairs and foreign policy has not traditionally been a big issue in Canada. I think it's about to become it if it isn't already, because the security climate is so changed now with the emergence of Russia and China. Uh, as much more belligerent powers than we've uh, been accustomed to thinking them as with the uh, utter chaos that seems to be enveloping the united states uh, that i think is uh, I fear is going to get worse over the next two or three years um, these are things we've got to think very seriously about and and you know when you look at the kind of thinking we've done about security and defense in this country i.e virtually none of it uh, there's certainly an opening uh, there so economic policy, defense policy uh, these are, you would think, very much in the conservative wheelhouse. Um, uh, so there's an opening for him. There's an opening for any conservative leader uh, to try to retake that center ground that the liberals seem to have given up. Uh, but uh, the question is, does he want to, or does he? You know, what you hear out of his people and people around him is, well, actually, what we're doing is we're we're mobilizing voters who never voted before. Uh, we're we're and they also want to corral the, the the votes that strayed to the the People's Party. But if they're if they're not, if they're not going to go for the center, if they're going to go on this kind of mobilization strategy, then, you know, they may be handing another victory to the liberals um, yet again.
1: Yeah, I think you might be right. Uh, you're born and raised Winnipeg, right? Uh, calling Eastern Canada home right now. Born in Ottawa, raised in Winnipeg. Oh, raised in Winnipeg. How, how much attention yeah. are you paying to, to Alberta's the race to be premier? Well, I, I, particularly the, the positions that
2: uh, Daniel Smith's been staking out. I think the whole country should be paying attention to it because if if she follows through it all, uh, on as it was described in the Free Alberta strategy, um, this this Alberta Sovereignty Act and related pieces of legislation and acts, it's it's it is absolutely it's not just unconstitutional it's anti-constitutional. It basically would take Alberta out of uh, the rule of law. It is in it's a kind of quasi separatist tract that they've gone done nothing to earn any kind of mandate to even discuss. I mean, it's just because she wins the party leadership. But, you know, in a few weeks' time, this is, you know, unless it's all been a, a game and she's going to betray the people who voted for her, then the whole country is going to have to be paying attention to that very seriously.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? Like she says, she she describes it, and I know that, that- – I'm sure that you've seen her her comment, her op-ed submitted to the National Post uh, back on August 22nd. She describes it just yesterday. A lawless federal government, she says, continues to invade Alberta's jurisdiction for too long, writes Danielle Smith. Alberta's been passively allowing the feds to intrude into the areas granted to us under the Constitution. We'll we'll get into the, the brass tacks of it and the weeds of it a little bit with uh, lawyer David Kahn in just a moment after I uh, speak with you. But she insists, she says, this is just Alberta looking to be treated the same as Quebec. Imagine that, she says, which well, you know will resonate here.
2: Yeah, I, I find the the love affair between Alberta nationalists and Quebec nationalists or, or separatists to be the strangest thing going. Alberta is the most successful, prosperous province in the country. Quebec, which used to have a standard of living uh, very close to Alberta's and very close to the national average, has been going backwards relative to the rest of the country for, you know, 40, 50 years. Why? Because they've indulged in all this nonsense about are we going to separate from the country and driven away investment. So why Alberta would want to follow that example has always been a bit of a mystery to me. But it's certainly it's detestable when Quebec nationalists and the current Quebec government try to assert the powers that they don't have so bill 96 in quebec is utterly unconstitutional in provisions uh, uh again i don't see that as being a, a sterling example for uh, uh, alberta to follow but to just very quickly deal with your point let's supposing there were these unconstitutional lawless federal intrusions which doesn't really get around to naming uh, the remedy for that is in the courts. That's how we settle constitutional disputes in this country. If somebody is behaving in a, in a lawless fashion, you take them to court. You don't just decide we're going to disregard the law as well. We're going to we're gonna organize kind of a provincial vigilanteism uh, uh, to 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 take the law into our own hands because we're so upset with something that Ottawa's done. So it's it's it, it's it's not a defense. She basically the the gist of that article is, unconstitutional things are actually constitutional, which you know, as I said on Twitter, she should take that up with Barry Cooper uh, who had another op-ed in the National Post saying, yeah of course it's unconstitutional. It's unconstitutional on purpose yeah because we're trying to foment a crisis because somehow when we foment a crisis good things will follow. this this is this is madness.
1: Yeah, and I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't think she'll mind us repeating. We 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 weren't in camera, I don't think, when Christy Clark referred to it as batshit crazy a couple of weeks ago. It certainly got a rise out of the crowd. I the question is, does is it good for Alberta? Is that what is it? What the average? alberton is looking for with with regards to furthering our interests on the national stage and i would humbly suggest no but but like you said i mean it, it'll draw the kooks and cranks and uh and uh and, and that'll sell memberships and, and ultimately she'll get to the premier's office the one that she's wanted to occupy for the better part of 10 years
2: yeah i mean then jason kenny called it nutty i should say both jason kenny and christy clark have something to answer for on this because they both on occasion also proposed extra constitutional, anti-constitutional things. So Jason Kenney said, oh, we can have a referendum on whether unilaterally we'll just demand that that, the equalization be changed because we held a referendum on it. It No legal consequence, whatever. And Christy Clark, I remember back when she was premier, when the Trans Mountain Pipeline was being discussed, was laying down all these conditions. Remember the famous five conditions on, on her approval uh, of a pipeline. Well, no, the, the provinces don't get to veto each other's pipelines. That's why we have a national government. So they they both have trucked in this kind of nonsense of of telling people they can have things they can't have, uh, uh, indulging in constitutional fantasies. Uh, and there's no doubt that Quebec has done that in the past and is doing it now. And it's terrible when Quebec does it. It's terrible when people. Um, yield in front of it, and and yield to, to to blackmail. But that doesn't mean that other provinces should follow that example. That 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 way lies madness.
1: Great to have you here, making sense of all this for us, uh, Andrew. Been a big fan for a long time. You can read Andrew Coin's work in the Globe and Mail. Make sure you watch him on At Issue and give him a follow on Twitter at A Coin. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, you bet. Let us know what you think about what Andrew just said. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can hit us up. Our inbox obviously open all the time. Real Talk RJ is our hashtag, and that's powered by our friends at Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider. Let's talk about pipelines, energy. If we would have had more time, I should have asked Andrew about uh, the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, and and German Chancellor Olaf Scholz signing an, an historic accord today. Uh, With regards to hydrogen, and they want to get more Canadian LNG, liquid natural gas, over to Germany. And well, Mm -hmm. it's got us all thinking about energy, energy security, energy affordability. Everybody's paying attention to cost of living right now, and that's where Park Power can help you out right this minute. If you go online to parkpower.ca, compare rates with internet, electricity, and natural gas. If you bundle the services together, you're saving money, let alone when you use the promo code 2022-REALTALK. It knocks $70 off your first bill from Park Power. Why wouldn't you? That should be their new motto. Park Power. Why wouldn't you? Oh, I could say that about a lot of things. Why wouldn't (laughs) you? Kubi Renewable Energy wants to remind you, uh, speaking of sustainable energy, that the federal government right now has a $40,000 interest-free loan. Up for grabs. Available for Canadians looking to go green at home. If you want to get solar panels up on your roof, you want to move your sustainable energy goals forward in a tangible way, this $40,000 interest-free loan is a perfect opportunity plus if you're in western canada there are other incentives kubi's got them all dialed in you can get your free quote today learn more about it at kubienergy.ca if you're an engineer that's skilled talented experienced but falling asleep at your workstation, you feel undervalued by your employer, you're working on projects that, quite frankly, you don't really care about, you want to be part of a corporate culture that understands the power of people, Apex Automation could be your next move. At apexautomation.ca, you can check out the careers link. Take a look at their projects, what they're doing in fabrication, engineering, and automation, how they're giving people back their time. We're proud to partner with apexautomation.ca. They're looking to hire Canada's best engineers. And our friends at Eden Landscaping want to remind you that the front yard approach to landscape design is drastically changing. People are moving away from just the long rolling sod, right? That one lone tree that's going to be beautiful probably 25 years from now. The urban front yard butterfly approach brings back native plants and provides a great ecosystem ecosystem for pollinators we know how important they are to the bigger picture eden landscaping is a custom landscape builder more than 20 years of experience in edmonton and area you can check out their portfolio online make contact with mike and his team at LandscapeEdmonton.ca. not an accident hit
0: that post
1: our (laughs) next guest was The leader of the Alberta Liberal Party up until a short time ago, his professional life these days dedicated to indigenous, environmental and constitutional law. He's always been a great friend to this show. And it's a pleasure to welcome David Kahn. It's nice to see your face. A good morning to you.
0: Yeah, good morning, Ryan. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, of course. You've been you've been hanging out in our bullpen. You've been you've been in our green room, so to speak, and you had a chance to hear some of, of what Andrew Coyne had to say about this proposed Alberta Sovereignty Act. This is the one that Daniel Smith is saying will allow Alberta to essentially take power back from Ottawa, power that it rightfully owns, and, and essentially model Quebec's relationship with the federal government. When I think of constitutional law, David, I think of you because every time I've wanted to get into the weeds and better understand it and actually find Find out the truth, you've been able to help us understand it in layperson's terms. So, how are you wrapping your mind around this one?
0: Well, you know, your previous guest, Mr. Coyne, sort of uh, stole some of my thunder, but, uh, you know, his points are right. Uh, This act, you know as it, as it was originally promoted as you as you pointed out was uh, uh, to promote uh, uh, a a confrontation in uh, in confederation in canada and to uh, somehow assert that alberta has more rights than it has or it should be on the road to sovereignty and miss smith uh, daniel smith has uh, taken this up as her standard bear her uh, her job number 1 or her uh, first uh, law shall pass And she's now been uh, backpedaling or uh, trying to uh, to to change the view of of uh, this proposed act. So she's written this uh, this op-ed that we've uh, read yesterday that seems to completely backpedal on uh, on the on the proposed act. Tweeted
1: yesterday that the the Alberta Sovereignty Act uh, per Daniel Smith's column in the National Post, which we referenced earlier, will exist within the, the Constitution. This is her argument, and that it'll simply ensure that federal laws abide by it and respect Alberta's jurisdiction. You say, Newsflash, our courts already do that, and they strike down unconstitutional laws. You describe it as gaslighting. Uh, can you give us a couple examples, or maybe one off the top of your head, where we've seen this in action? What's the precedent?
0: Well, laws are challenged all the time in the courts. That is, as Mr. Coyne said, the mechanism to to uh, resolve disputes uh, about constitutional authority of uh, the province and the federal government. So, for example, Mr. Kenney has brought challenges to the uh, carbon tax, uh, the federal carbon tax, which was uh, which failed at the Supreme Court of Canada, he continues to bring uh, challenges on uh, uh, two other federal laws, uh, challenging their jurisdiction, and that's the uh, right way to go, regardless of what you think of the merits of uh, of these challenges by Mr. Kenny's government. But that's exactly how uh, how the Constitution works, and I mean, it drives me crazy when she mentions all the way through her column that uh the federal government is lawless it's invading alberta's jurisdiction alberta is sovereign it's got uh, rights under the constitution we want to protect those rights and the charter of rights and freedoms and protect the rights of of albertans and its its citizens and so all the way through this column she's pointing out that alberta has certain rights that it, it that the rule of law applies and yet uh so so you know big deal that's that's The rule of laws is what we live under. The courts decide that. And especially the Supreme Court of Canada, we have to have a national court that decides these things. Otherwise, we'd have a patchwork of, of laws. So, I mean, it's just a ludicrous act and it's a ludicrous column to, to try to uh, play it down as some kind of uh, 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 act that will live within the Constitution. So, I mean,
1: a lot of this will be about the the fight, right? The, the saber rattling. And that's not uh, limited to Danielle Smith. It's not limited to Alberta. It's certainly not limited to conservatives. People love that. But it has been somewhat of a a conservative trend in Canada, the bombastic saber-rattling. We're going to fight Ottawa. We're going to fight the Trudeau Liberals. We're going to fight the, the activists. We're going to fight the environmentalists. We're going to fight the people that would block pipeline expansion. We're going to fight the people that would block railways. We're going to fight the people that would implement a carbon tax. We're going to fight everybody, uh, except for maybe the United States. We don't want to fight the United States. But, but, David, if this were to actually... People want to understand what would this actually look like in action. So let's say Danielle Smith wins this leadership race. Let's say that she's sworn in as Alberta's premier. She says this will be her first priority, her top priority, her first act as premier. So what happens? Is, is this just going to be a, a big, expensive exercise for the rest of the country to snicker at Alberta while we blow tens of millions of dollars trying to run this up to the Supreme Court? How would this actually play out, do you forecast?
0: Yeah, as you point out, it'll be a big boon for boon for uh, lawyers and the the outside law firms that uh, the Alberta government has been contracting of late to uh, pursue these uh, these uh, 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 applications. Uh, yeah, so you know, she'll pass the act. It'll sit there on the books. It'll ostensibly give some powers to the prov- provincial government to not enforce federal laws. But uh, if they do uh, choose to not enforce, enforce federal laws or intrude on federal jurisdiction, uh, there'll be a court challenge by the federal government. It'll wind its way up the levels of court and the Supreme Court will will rule on whether uh, Alberta is acting extra jur- jurisdictionally or not. Similarly, if the federal government passes a law that intrudes on Alberta's sovereign jurisdiction, again, that will be the uh, subject of a, of a court case and the uh, Supreme Court ultimately will decide.
1: You're uh... Uh, I don't know, actually, uh, sometimes I don't ask this question of every guest, but I think it's a fair question considering that you used to lead Alberta's liberals. I don't know if if you're a card carrying member of the federal liberals, but but if you are, and, and let me just say even assuming that you are, the question may come across as a bit of a softball. And if I'm going to toss a softball, I always want to acknowledge that it's a softball. But I'm just curious for your take because I know that you're a proud Albertan. This is your home. This is where you work. I mean, you campaigned as leader of the Alberta. I mean, ultimately, you wanted to be the premier of Alberta, right? Right. Do you believe and people will say, well, you know, the lawless federal government, they're not treating Alberta fairly. You know, Trudeau hates Alberta. You know, Trudeau has an axe to grind against Alberta. Uh, The the East doesn't pay attention to the West. We've heard all of this. Right. And then the counter argument, I guess, for some folks would be that, well, I mean, the federal government invested in TMX, they invested in the pipeline. They've they've committed more than a billion dollars to cleaning up orphan wells. They're, They're 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 trying to, you know, these acts or these shows of good faith demonstrate that maybe Ottawa or Trudeau or the liberals doesn't hate Alberta in your assessment as a a former politician, as a lawyer, uh, you know, as as an Albertan who lives and works here, do you believe that Alberta has been treated and is treated fairly by Ottawa?
0: I believe fundamentally that uh, we are. I mean, there's there's issues around uh, the equalization tax or the equalization program. There's issues around uh, the emergency funds that can flow when a province is uh, precipitous decline in revenues. Uh, that was used to backfill Alberta's revenues uh, through the, the, this uh, downturn in the uh, economy since 2014. But uh, you know, fundamentally, uh, the courts have uh, have jurisdiction to ensure the sovereign sovereignty of the provinces and the federal government and uh, the federal government raised taxes and distributes it to uh, uh, amongst the provinces based on need to ensure that all Canadians have a similar standard of living. But Alberta has raised tens of tens of billions of dollars from uh, the oil and gas industry. And the uh, ability to tax that industry is not just an Alberta uh, right. It's it's a right of uh, both levels of government uh, to to uh, to, uh, to, tax that industry. So, uh, especially through corporate taxes. So, um, Alberta is the most prosperous, uh, province in the country and has been for many decades. And, and so this, this victimhood, uh, that we're being treated poorly and it, it's, it is just saber rattling and it's just, uh, politics. And that, unfortunately that kind of politics plays well in Alberta.
1: How's life outside of politics been for you? Do You miss it at all?
0: You know, um, it's uh you know I, I think politics has become a real blood sport it's really toxic I think uh, it doesn't attract people anymore that um, uh, that really are, are committed because it's so uh, difficult and so hard on on people's lives so you know I don't miss the the, the personal sacrifices financial uh, sacrifices to my career and and to, to family and friends I don't miss that um, uh, you know I might miss the uh, I really do miss the the policy arguments and the Uh, the good faith uh, discussions about uh, the future of our province, but uh, I sure don't miss the toxicity.
1: Yeah. Do you think there's a, uh, I know you probably don't want to spend too much time talking about this, but I can't have you here and not ask you about it. The Alberta liberal party recently ran its leadership race and nobody applied to be leader. Uh, they went through the whole process and, and not a single applicant. Someone could have won by being acclaimed. Uh, some have suggested that there's a brand issue. And I know that there. I can remember you, <laughs> you and I talking uh, many times about this. Even the former leader, David Swan, I remember him and, and at that time, Alberta Party leader, Greg Clark, had them both in the same radio studio saying, why don't you guys just bring the parties together and realized at the time that there was so much animosity between those parties that there was no chance in hell of that happening. You think the brand can survive you think that there's still a place for the alberta liberal party
0: yeah i mean uh the brand has taken a beating the last uh few decades but i think uh there's a a a place for for uh small liberalism in alberta and i think the party has uh has a chance to regroup and i think in the long run there will be a place in alberta politics for the uh, alberta liberal party
1: before I thank you for your time, David, and I appreciate you taking that question. Um, I, I just took a, I, I dropped in very quickly on our on our live chat here, and, and some some of our audience members are, are making good points, and and I do want to ask you about this. Uh, circling back to the Alberta Sovereignty Act, uh, what are the the uh, treaty obligations in all of this? I mean, uh, there, there, there's a there's a bigger picture conversation to be had about Alberta, so-called separating. Uh, this might be kind of opening the door to that type of thing, in, the, in which case there are undeniable treaty implications. But what about with the sovereignty conversation? Does it raise some red flags with you?
0: Well, certainly, uh, you know, uh, the treaties were signed with the, the crown before provinces in the West were even created. So uh, provinces are sort of late to the game in terms of that treaty relationship. That's a fundamental relationship between the crown and uh, and First Nations and the Crown uh, being divided between the provinces and the federal government now, but back then it was just the federal government or really the British Crown. Uh, so it has huge implications if Alberta were to want to separate. Uh, the, the treaties cover uh, uh, the land uh, that was treated between uh, the federal government or the or the Brits and uh, and First Nations. But even uh, even if you want to assert sovereignty. Over uh, issues, there's a a sovereignty issue in that the Alberta government doesn't have the unilateral power to assert sovereignty over First Nations rights, and we've seen that uh, they're not confined to reserves anymore. First Nations are exercising their sovereignty across their entire traditional territories and challenging the uh, one sided treaties and the oral promises that were broken in regard to those treaties. So uh, there's a much larger issue and uh, Alberta just doesn't have the unilateral right to ignore the treaties or ignore the federal government uh, laws.
1: Justin watching us live on our chat says we're talking autonomy not separation, autonomy, not separation. I don't know if you can have complete provincial autonomy. You can on some things, right, David? That's kind of the point. It's kind of how it's structured. But generally speaking, there's not really a model for it. Quebec's not fully autonomous, would you say?
0: No, and 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 throughout her column, Miss Smith talks about the rule of law and that Alberta is sovereign and has certain powers in the Constitution. Certainly it does. Both levels of government are sovereign within their areas of jurisdiction pursuant to the constitution. So Alberta is, is autonomous as autonomous as it can be under the constitution. Um, And then she goes on and points out a couple of uh, uh, examples of this autonomy that she wants to seek with this act, that Quebec has declared that the federal emergencies act shouldn't apply to them, that uh, Saskatchewan has said they won't apply, won't uh, invoke uh, a federal law on, uh, on fertilizers. And B.C., uh, got an exemption from the Drugs Control Act to uh, decriminalize drugs in the Vancouver area. Well, uh, the federal government can grant such an exemption. The Quebec government can uh, can pass a non-binding motion. Premier Mo can say that he's not going to enforce this act, but that's all bluster. That's not the law. Mm. Dave, it's always great to see your face, my man. Thanks for doing the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to see you, Ryan. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me.
1: Yeah, you bet. You can give Dave a follow on Twitter at Dave underscore Khan. K-H-A-N. He's uh, a constitutional, environmental and uh, indigenous lawyer and uh, really appreciate his perspective on this. I, got to, I always love dropping back in on the comments. Sometimes it's been a while since I've checked in. And so I try to get caught up as, as best I can. Karen says, you know, I keep hearing about these like past liberal voters that say they're, that are going to vote conservative in the next election. And I don't get it. Like, who are they and where are they? That from Karen. Uh, if that fits you, if you're a, a a person who's voted liberal and passed, maybe the, you remember like 2015. If you're an was an
0: AI a, generated human. Being like that, those people don't.
1: But you remember that. 20 2015 was like the, the that was the whole like the Trudeau the the. Yeah. I can't say the Trudeau mania. That was mm. his dad, but but it was that we was that that. I remember that. I mean, those were my first few months on that big terrestrial talk radio yeah. station, and what a six months it was uh-huh. when when Rachel Notley upsets the conservative dynasty 44 mm-hmm. years in Alberta. And then several months later in the fall, Justin Trudeau beats Stephen Harper. And it was kind of like, whoa. Uh, and, and and of course, the whole thing, you know, the question that was lobbed to the prime minister when he unveiled his cabinet. You know, why do you have a gender balanced cabinet? Because it's 2015. And everyone was like, oh, ah! you know, it was this big thing. And then he won again in 2019. And then I think and, and, and he's won again. And then I, mm-hmm. you know, people are, are fair out to question, is there like a shelf life? Uh, Not just this prime minister in particular, but prime ministers. Is there a shelf life, federally speaking, in Mm -hmm. in Canada with regards to the governments that we elect? Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, we we always want to hear from people, you know, from from across the political spectrum and and sort of get a sense of what's making you tick, what's resonating with you, what's catching your eye, what's pissing you off, quite frankly. Glenna says not every conservative is a radical, but every radical is a conservative. I totally disagree with that, uh, but I can see how you might get that impression right now. Mm-hmm. You know, if Andrew was still here, if Andrew Coyne was still here, he made a point, and I can't make it, like, I mean, that guy is such a master. That guy's so freaking smart. But, <laughs> but he was talking at this Center rights event a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about the difference between radical and extreme. Yeah. The difference between someone who, whose ideas are radical and a so-called extremist. And he says radical is not always bad. Mm. Like, like Canada's national, how we approach health care that that was a radical idea uh he said that Brian Mulrooney, like the the you know the, the he went back to, I think it was the Meech Lake Accord that he referenced he said these are we have seen radical ideas that doesn't make them inherently bad mm-hmm. extremist ideas it's a completely different conversation uh but Glenn I appreciate the point you make and uh and then there was this one from Shane uh, this is a real throwback Shane wanted to chime in on Zeller's <laughs> Returning to Canada. <laughs> Again, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I thought it was a joke when I saw that. I just scrolled past the headline. I thought people were joking, especially because the guy that I saw sharing it on his timeline, he's a bit of a prankster. I think so this I thought...
0: happened a couple years ago, too, where they were like, Zellers is coming back. And it was a big, it like, gets everybody excited. And then it turns out they're not.
1: Like. And and Shane says, you know, I shopped at Target Target once. And he says it gave me a bad first impression that the chain was having a bit of a brand identity crisis. Like it didn't know. Whether it wanted to be a primary competitor to Walmart or to Sears and the Bay. Mm-hmm. Well, Shane, and I get it. And that's probably maybe one of the reasons we're going to talk about this with Heather Thompson tomorrow. She's way smarter about this stuff than no offense. I was going to say than either of us. <laughs> I shouldn't speak for you, John. You we're looking right at me. <laughs> I was looking right at you. I don't mean to do that. She's smarter than me on this. Uh, but but but. Target flopped in Canada. Of course, yeah. And we kind of wonder why. But now, I mean, Sears is a non-factor. The Bay is like shutting down yeah. locations everywhere. If Byway comes back too, I'm I'm good oh my to God. go. And San. <laughs> Remember San with two A's? Yeah. So that's Heather Thompson tomorrow. You're not going to want to miss Leading Edge, which is coming up in just a second. First, I want to remind you how proud we are to partner with Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. It's not just because we know, and I have the confidence that if you walk into either of their locations or, or contact them through their website, a chat, chat window will pop up if you visit sherwooddodge.com, albertdodge.com We know that they're gonna treat you right. You, we know that you're gonna get the best price on a Chrysler, a Jeep, a Ram, Mopar lineup, anywhere in Alberta, but also because their service teams are so committed to keeping those relationships healthy and long-term. you know That's why they've earned the return business of their customers for many, many years. You can check out Sherwood Dodge, St. Albert Dodge by visiting the links through the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. We're just a few days away from Trash Talk and our inboxes. I won't say full, it's not because there's always room for more, but a whole bunch of you are uh, all kinds of riled up and we love it. Trash Talk is presented proudly by our friends at Local Environmental Services who encourage you to keep it local. They, be- they believe that communities deserve better. Better service, better prices, more support for local causes. You're going, what? They collect garbage bins. What's all this talking? It is so much more than garbage to the team at Local Environmental Services. Let them show you how they can help. Today, request a quote online at localenvironmental.ca. Still family-owned after a quarter century, doing business proudly in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Our friends at Dairy Queen want us to remind you that the summer blizzard lineup is still there for your enjoyment. I mean, if not now, when the blizzard of the month is coffee crisp. But for a limited time, you can also check out the Oreo Dirt Pie Blizzard Treat. My little guy, seven-year-old, loves the gummy worms in that one. There's the Cotton Candy Blizzard Treat, the Very Cherry Chip Blizzard Treat, the Girl Guide's Chocolatey Mint Cookie Blizzard Treat, which I can personally attest is absolutely fantastic. And at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, you can also find the Reese's Pieces Cookie Dough Blizzard Treat. That's Palisades de Mayo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Every Tuesday, we take a look at a person or a company, maybe an invention that's changing the game, that's innovating. It's the Leading Edge presented by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. And in the spotlight today, I love this liquid death. Yeah, that's right. They invite you to murder your thirst. Those of us that drink, I'm talking about booze. Many of us could probably stand to drink a little bit less, but there's societal pressure, right? Whether or not we like to admit it, we are influenced by what others might think of us. Well, just a few weeks ago, a former Netflix creative director by the name of, uh, did I say weeks? A couple of years ago, a guy, (laughs) it's worth $525 million in a couple of weeks. It's unbelievable. No, in 2019, Mike Cesario announced that he thought that it was time for something a little more punk rock when it came to, the bottled water industry and so he introduced liquid death You know, the bottled water industry is worth more than $20 billion a year, but a lot of people have felt self-conscious, like when they're at punk rock shows, skate competitions, or just in their favorite bar, they were going to get made fun of. As much as we hate to admit it, we're human beings and this stuff resonates with us. They wanted something that looked like beer, but they didn't want to drink alcohol. Well, Liquid Death Mountain Water has been the answer to this. You're going to say, really? This is innovation? This is why they're featured on The Leading Edge? Well, what about this as well? It's aluminum cans. are more environmentally friendly. They donate five cents from each can purchased to Ocean Recovery. The founder said, and this touches on what we just got into, being vegan is extreme. Everything metal and punk is extreme. Protesting deforestation is extreme. There's room to be extreme. With Liquid <laughs> Death, just a short time ago, they reached out to We can't call them water boys for NFL teams and those working in pro sports. Of course, they're hydration assistants. And they dangled a $100,000 endorsement contract, the first ever offered to a professional hydration assistant through their scouting combine. And Travis Polson's the big winner. Let's roll it.
2: Travis Polson isn't a water boy. He's a hydration assistant. They don't get the contracts. They don't get the brand deals. They don't get millions of fans screaming their name. Until now. Because without water, pro athletes would all be dead. And no athletes means no football. And no football means no America. So, Travis Polson isn't just
1: a hydration superstar. He's a god. So, for their cheeky ad campaign, for their environmental activism, for the way that they're changing the game on how we view the culture around alcohol, we're going to give Liquid Death Canned Water the honor of appearing in this week's edition of The Leading Edge. The Leading Edge is presented every Tuesday on Real Talk by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. Life shouldn't hurt. Coming up on the show tomorrow, as mentioned, Heather Thompson's going to join us. We're going to learn a little bit more about Zeller's re-entry into the Canadian market. I thought everybody just shopped at Amazon right now. And if not Amazon, I thought they went to shop local. The mom and Pop brick and mortar stores. The farmer's markets. So... What Zeller's play here? We'll learn a little bit more. And on the even lighter side of life, the World Dodgeball Championships. We're going to talk to the favorites. Oh, yeah.
0: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harman Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson.